Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. I have a whole stack of little scratched out notes and things for today's episode. There's a little game that me and my son have played several times and we talked about doing doing it on the podcast at some point and just sort of as a joke i would say uh jackson name anything in the universe and he would name you know like um sesame seed bun and i'd say i can take anything in the universe and somehow relate it to bluegrass to bluegrass music so i would go through this well let's see sesame seed buns remind me of hamburgers and hamburgers remind me of lousy food like you get at a circus and lousy food like you get at a circus is a lot like lousy food you get at a sorry bluegrass festival and bluegrass festivals of course remind me of bluegrass music and in so in six or seven steps, I could take anything in the universe and somehow relate it back to bluegrass. Uh, that's kind of how this episode is going to be today. Because everything's related. I can't just sit here and talk about just bluegrass. Sometimes i got to talk about other things. But they all relate. And many times it works in reverse, too, because... Sometimes I'm talking about bluegrass and how to learn to play and how to become a better player and how to operate your PA system, but you can take those things and expand them out into the rest of the universe and find valuable um, ways of thinking and methodologies that apply to other areas of your life. I've said this many times and I've used lots of analogies. This podcast today is just a, a a bunch of these things. So before I get into this, um, real quick, right off the top, I want to thank my patrons over on patreon.com slash Bradley Laird. Once again, these people are have chipped in. You know, they've they've scrounged around under the seats for that change. And have uh, chipped in uh, some relatively small amounts and some a little bit bigger um, to help financially make this podcast possible. And so I appreciate you, Ben and Craig and DJ and Gina and Lori and Mike and Pat and Tom. You guys are doing it and making it happen. Now, of course, there are other ways to help out. And, of course, that would be maybe go over to BradleyLaird.com, stroll around and buy one of my ebooks or video lessons, that sort of thing. But maybe you're just looking for something free. (laughs) And that's a good place to start. I got lots of free stuff on there, too. I have the, you know, free mandolin chord charts in organized by key. So you can go to the page of the key of C chords and it'll just show the the most common chords that you will encounter in the key of C. And you can, I've always recommended to my students that they learn chords in families based upon the keys. 
So if you're suddenly forced into a situation where you have to play in the key of B, just go look at the key of B mandolin chord charts. Okay, and while we're on free stuff, I just want to remind everybody of the free ebook, The Ten Commandments Discussed, which you can uh, grab by going. I still have not added it to my website. Uh, so the way to get that for free is to go to my online store at payhip.com slash Bradley Laird. And when you get there, you'll see a category called podcast slash miscellaneous. Click that and then scroll down and you will find that free ebook where I discuss the Ten Commandments. It seems like it's 60 pages or so. A little mobile-friendly thing you can just download right to your phone. And the cool thing about, an additional cool thing about that, is that the final page of that free ebook is a 25% discount coupon code off anything that I sell on my store. And you might say, ah, 25%, you know... Um, on an $8 lesson, or let's say a video lesson, like you're going to get Salt Creek for the mandolin. You say, ah, 25%, that's nothing. Well, it's something. It's something. And this whole podcast is going to be about that concept. But if you were going to sign up for mandolin lessons, and let's say, let's be realistic. It's going to take you a year or two to become any good. I mean, it takes a while. It, it, you don't learn overnight. Rome isn't built in a day. So if you were to sign up for, even on the cheap side, 20 bucks a week lessons, and you do that for a year, how much is that? A thousand bucks? Let's see, 10 bucks a week times 50 weeks would be 500. Yeah, so a thousand bucks. And I'm not saying don't do that, uh, but not everybody has a mandolin teacher available to them. So let's say that you want to self-teach and you, you're looking at my mandolin treasure chest, which includes, I think, 10 of my mandolin ebooks and 24 videos and a whole slew of jam tracks and just pretty much everything related to mandolin. And you can download the whole thing. It's, it's, it's the amount of content that I would typically teach to a good student who actually practices over the course of 18 months to two years of steady weekly lessons. That's how much stuff is in there. And it's a hundred bucks. Now, you know, I just said a, a year of lessons is a thousand bucks. Of course, most people don't last a year. We'll get to that in this podcast too. Why, why people bail out. But that one little discount coupon code save you 25 bucks, so you could get essentially two years worth of mandolin learning material and watch the videos over and over and over and over and over as many times as you want to, as you need to. Unlike the lesson, you can't go on Monday and say, come back on Tuesday and say, can you show me that again? You know, the teacher's going to say, well, uh, you know, I got another student. Uh, I'll show you that next week. But with the videos, you can just keep doing it over and over and over and over and over. And that helps to make up for the fact that you don't have a mentor looking over your shoulder, you know, helping you do things correctly. 
So uh, anyway, 25 bucks on that. You're, you're looking at 75 bucks for basically two years worth of self-teaching lessons with me as your guide and host. So even the free ebook has some additional value there with that. Um, in the last podcast, I spent a portion of the time talking about pickup bands and describing this gig that I was going to do uh, this past Friday and how it started out as the kid on banjo and me on bass. And I suggested that we get a guitar player who sings and we did. And I said, wish me luck. We're going to the gig tonight. Well, we did. And if you recall from the last episode, I said, well, you know, they offered the kid 200 bucks and uh, he took it. And I told him, well, I think maybe you need to go back to him and try to get three. (laughs) And I was curious as to see whether or not he would actually do that and um, or at least try, you know, (laughs) and sell the uh, trio idea. Well, we arrive at the gig and I'm just curious, you know, how this went. Well, he didn't. He did. Didn't seem like, so it looked like it's the three of us going to play for 200 bucks. And I had told him when I was sort of advising him in the ramping up phase to this gig, I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to get a hundred. Steve's going to get a hundred, uh, you know, see what you can do. See if you can get this thing up because I don't want you playing for free. Oh, I don't, I don't mind. I, I, I do it for free. I'm like, no, you, you should get paid too. And actually, Steve and I had a little secret pact that, you know, if that was all he could scare up from the client was 200 bucks, we were going to split it evenly three ways, just kind of surprise him. And, uh, but what I want to tell you was we, we went to the gig and we started playing. Had, had never, the three of us had never played together before. And it went really well. People liked it. We were playing at the bottom of the the steps that lead up to the house. And, you know, the Rotarians and their wives and stuff were coming in with trays of food and things like this. And we were positioned at the bottom of the stairs to kind of head them in towards the house and, you know, give them a little entertainment as they're coming in. We're just standing out there basically in the the yard playing... uh, you know, acoustically, no PA and saying hi to folks. And, you know, they're going up the stairs with their tray of, you know, shrimp cocktail or cookies or whatever it is they brought to this, uh, covered dish type affair. So people were stopping and listening and, you know, we were just running through some standards, some stuff that I knew the kid knew and I knew Steve knew. And so it's going pretty well. Then they get into the phase of, they're going to eat and have some speeches and presentations. So the lady who hired us came over and said, you know, you guys can take a little break. And then in a little while, when they finish, move around to the back side of the house and we'll set you up back there on the porch and you can play the rest of the evening. Okay. So we take a little break and uh, just talking about what we're going to do and stuff. And we move around to the back side of the house and we start playing and, uh, this was a record for me. I mean, I often bemoan the fact that uh, bluegrass bands, or pretty much all bands, the amount of money, the typical gig, the money which the dollar amount which no one shall ever go over, is has remained at $300 for a band since the 1970s. 
I can remember going out in 78, you know, playing a gig at the Econo Lodge for 300 bucks. And then I remember in 2009 playing the basically the same three-hour gig at El Puente Mexican Restaurant for 300 bucks. It's like inflation seemed to affect everything except the price of bands. And so there we were playing a $200 gig. So Steve said, should I put the tip bucket out? I said, yeah, absolutely. Put that thing out there. Here, make sure you take a clothespin and stick a dollar bill kind of where they can see it. You know, salting the old tip jar. So we started playing. We had people up there singing with us, doing... uh, you know, I'll fly away and you are my sunshine. We were running through the hits and man of constant sorrow, wagon wheel, you know, all that stuff. And at the end of the night, we dumped the can of money out and counted it all up. A wor- a personal world record in tips. I'm used to seeing 15, 20, 30, 40. On a high night, you might have 60 bucks in it in the tips. Check this out. $348 in tips. So we got paid 200 and we made $348 in tips. That's $538. You should have seen that banjo player's eyes that I want to call a kid. He's 19. His eyes were as big around as saucers as we were divvying up the money. He couldn't believe it. Anyway, that was a personal record. I have never seen such tipping in my life. And I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is egotistical to think, but I guess it means we did a pretty good job. <laughs> anyway, so that was the rundown on the gig. So now let me turn to my chicken scratch and and talk about today's subject the power of small things it's probably apocryphal but um, I have heard numerous times that Albert Einstein you know fabled to be one of the more intelligent people in the world which frankly I doubt a little bit and actually he doubted himself quite a bit if you read some of his own writings but He's portrayed as the, um, the symbol of high intelligence. <laughs> so Einstein, and he was supposedly asked, uh, you know, Dr. Einstein, what is the most powerful force in the universe? And his answer was compound interest. Compound interest. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And in particular, we're going to talk about how interest and compounding affects things, even at very small amounts. So I don't generally get into much in the way of politics on this thing. And I don't, I don't want you to misconstrue uh, this little um, analogy as political. It's not. It's economic. Okay, but, you know, economics are heavily tied to politics. And as I said before, I can relate anything back to bluegrass. But I want to talk for a minute about the Federal Reserve System, begun in 1913. And you hear people talking all the time about, uh, you know, well, you, you hear some people talking about 
you know, the coming dollar crash and all this kind of stuff. And I just laugh. I say, the crash isn't coming. It's already happened. You know, the days of the nickel cigar are over. If you steadily erode the value of the dollar for over a hundred years, even if you do it just a few percent a year, and and your purchasing power is reduced by ninety six percent, I'd say you've already crashed. That's like you're you're floating in a hot air balloon and you descend two percent per minute or hour, let's say. Well, sooner or later, you're going to hit the ground. If you continue that, doesn't matter. The rate isn't all that important. Although in a balloon, I would prefer a very low percentage rate of descent rather than a rapid like he's going down 500 feet per second. So it's a soft landing, perhaps, but it's a landing nonetheless, and you are no longer floating. And this is sort of the way the dollar has been. You know, if. If what you could buy with a dollar, uh, <laughs> in other words, something that cost um, five cents in 1913 now costs a dollar, uh, I don't call that price stability. And yet the Fed, um, one of their mandates is price stability, and the other one is full employment. Okay. Well, how good? How good have they been at this? Now, we could, if we wanted to get political, we could debate whether or not it's intentional or not, and I being convinced that it is completely intentional. Um, but we won't get into that. But if, if, your, if your nickel cigar costs a dollar today, um, it's already, your dollar has already crashed. So th that's the way the Fed works. They just take a little bit, a little bit, for a long, long, long time. And, you know, in when something is degrading, like, like the balloon descending, if you want to continue flying, you have to stop descending, you know. If you want to fly, you have to ascend. If you want to become a better player, you've got to get... A little better and a little better and a little better if you want to become a great player. If you want to become a worse player, you get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. That happens too. But I got to thinking about how a lot of people don't think 2% is much of anything. You know, I'm giving away 25% discount on any of my products and some people don't think that's much of anything. <laughs> you know, ah, 25%. I'll wait till he, I'm holding out till he gives 75%, you know. But um, if I gave a 2% discount, how many people would rush over there and start downloading, you know, Clawhammer banjo videos or something? Probably not very many because they don't think 2% is much of anything. And this is a tool used by nefarious entities to um, rid you of your wealth. <laughs> to have your money go from your wallet to theirs. It's only 2%. This is commonly employed by all parasitic um, life forms. You know, the fungus that is living off the tree, it's counterproductive to kill the tree. 
because then where is he going to make his living? You know, he just wants to slowly suck the tree dry and try to, you know, expand his empire without killing the tree. And you'll see old trees hanging on for dear life, hundreds of years still putting out new buds and, you know, fruiting and flowering and, and just eat up with rot, you know, and limbs falling off. And I've got an old oak tree out here that's probably about 130 years old. And boy, that is one haggard, worn out old tree. And every now and then a big limb about 14 inches in diameter will just snap off and fall to the ground. And it's already rotted. That's the kind of the power of a little insidious interest being drawn away. <laughs> and that's, that's what's happened to the dollar. Um, but this can be used in a positive sense, too. You know, if you tell your kid, uh, uh, take your $50 birthday check you got from your grandmother and let's go down to the bank and put it in the bank. And we hear they're paying 2%, which actually they don't even pay 2% anymore. They used to. But, and at the end of the year, let's see, you'll have $51. And the kid's like, what? I got to wait a whole year to make a dollar. Forget this. I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to spend this money. If it was 5%, it would still feel like nothing. But if you keep doing it, and you keep doing it year after year, and you compound the interest, so you're getting interest on the interest, it adds up. And this is like learning to play. You know, if you learn an, a few little tricks on the mandolin or the banjo, well, that doesn't cause you to lose the tricks you already had, so your capital remains stable, you know. You just keep adding to it. And if you keep adding even 2% of knowledge a year, you're going to become a lot more knowledgeable over a long period of time. So I did it. I ran the numbers on a few things to uh, just to see what the power of small changes could be. And this reminds me of, of uh, a concept I've tried to get across to my son is that it, it's it's very easy to look at a a significant task that you're facing and think, oh man, this is gonna take forever because it's a big job. Uh, be it um, you know mowing the yard. I, I look at this ten acres and I'm like, oh man. But I, I try not to think about it that way. I try to think I'm gonna go out there and do some mowing, get some mowing done. Try not to think about the whole. I just try to think about whittling away at it. It'd be like, how, how long would it take you to walk from New York to San Francisco? And a lot of people go, oh, man, I, that's just too far. I can't. I, well, you don't have, you're thinking about it wrong. You don't walk from New York. Nobody walks from New York to San Francisco. They just take a step and then they just take another step. And then they take another step and another step and another step. Any fool can take a step. So in little small increments, it's not that bad. You can do great things or you can do horrible things in little tiny increments. I think about this every time they come around election time and they're 
the local government starts putting up all these signs, you know, they, they want a 1% increase in the sales tax or maybe 2% increase. And this is, it's nothing. And they, they put up posters of, with pictures of pennies on it. It's just a penny or two pennies support, you know, SPLOS, the whatever local, local op, special local option sales tax. Only 2%, and uh, we're going to you know, spend it all on these wonderful things like build a new school and fix the roads, and they, you know, who will build the roads? That's always the, the argument. Well, many people just go, oh, yeah, well, it's only two cents. Well, it's not just two cents. It's 2% of every dollar you spend. So it's 2% of your income because most people pretty much spend their income. You know, they're living uh, hand to mouth. Most people. Um, So they sell it as being a really small thing, but it really adds up to a huge thing. Drive around America. Jackson and I have been rambling around this week. Uh, My wife's been out of town. She's been up in Atlanta doing an event. And uh, so Jackson and I have been getting up. What are we going to do today? Well, let's uh, let's drive down to Albany, about 40 miles away. Let's just explore a little bit and wander around down there and see what we find. So we, we wander around downtown Albany. Then uh, I think it was on Tuesday, we decided, you know what? We don't ever go to Cordial. Cordial's about 30 miles to our east. Let's go over there and look around Cordial walk around. Maybe, the, maybe they got a music store. We did found, found a music store in Cordial, talked to the guy for about 45 minutes. And he, he had, uh, uh, my claw hammer banjo primer book by published by watch and learn was on his rack. And my son always gets a kick out of seeing any of the books that I've done actually in actual music stores. Wow. Dad, look at this. You're famous. <laughs> so we were just wandering around, but What you see if you wander around small town USA are lots and lots of factories that have closed down here in America. So we have formerly the Manhattan Shirt Company, empty hull, nothing in there. Uh, Mobile home manufacturing facilities shut down. You, You just see this all over America. And then you walk the downtown and half of the businesses are boarded up for rent. It's just empty ghost towns, storefronts, and you see the struggling few who are clinging to survival. But in every one of those little small towns, if you ride around looking around, you'll eventually run up on the courthouse. And the courthouse is a fancy big building with fountains out front. Lots of expensive vehicles parked out front, these big black SUVs. And, you know, you see the fire department. Man, those trucks look nice. It, they're not hurting, is what I'm saying. You know, the fire chief's riding around in a fancy red pickup truck. You know, probably costs more than some people's double wide. And where do they get all that money? Well, they get it from that little 2%, that little, that little minuscule amount that they tax you continuously and they just can't ever do it 
in large enough quantities to freak everybody out. They got to do it a little at a time, you know, <laughs> just take a little, little at a time. That's sort of the parasitic nature of government. Anyway, this little principle can be useful in positive ways or negative ways. You know, you can come around and soak the public for an extra 2% on their property taxes and do that year after year. And that would be negative to you, but it's positive to them. Well, if you were, let, let's think about weight loss. <laughs> let's say you're a, you're a healthy five foot 10 man. You weigh 160 pounds and you gain 2% a year. Yeah, that's nothing. 2%'s nothing. At the end of a year, you get on the scales and you're 163 pounds. And you can convince yourself, well, you really hadn't gained any weight. That's just, you know, it's nothing. 163 pounds. Well, if you continue adding 2% a year, because it's compounded, and do that for 10 years, now you're 195 pounds. You know, you're buying bigger pants. You do that for 20 years, just 2% a year, just gain 2% a year, you will weigh 237 pounds. That's uh, 77 pounds more than where you started. <laughs> and you keep on, it just keeps on. It just, it's an accumulative effect. So I would say that's a negative effect of adding 2% of something undesirable. Now, it could be, be worse if you added 2% a month or 2% a week. Kind of depends on what you're measuring and, and the scale of time. Like you can take a 10 inch diameter tree and let it grow 2% in diameter per year. And it's compounded because the tree just keeps getting bigger and bigger. At the end of a year, the tree is 10.2 inches in diameter. Not very big, not much. But thank goodness the forestry industry doesn't look at it this way. Actually, 2% might be a little slow growing for Southern pines. But maybe for the California Redwood, that might be about right. But they look at it long term. They're thinking, how big will this tree be in 30 years? And that 10-inch diameter tree growing 2%, increasing in diameter 2%, after, I can't read my writing, 20 years, I think, 30 years, it'll be 18 inches in diameter. Clearly moved up from pulpwood into the saw timber class. If you wait 50 years, that 10-inch tree is now 30 inches in diameter. And remember, diameter times pi gives you the square area, the cross-sectional area of the log. So if you go back to the 10-inch tree, it was roughly 31 inches, square inches. In 30 years, it's 94. So it's tripled in cross-sectional area, which triples its volume. 30 years now you're peeling plywood logs and making guitar tops and stuff if it was a an adirondack spruce just two percent a year that's all it takes well how can you use this in learning to play i, I mentioned in a podcast just recently that i had fixed a hole in the front of a mandolin and loaned it to a guy because he had shown a little interest in maybe learning to play the mandolin I loaned it to him. I said, you know, just keep it a while and try it out. 
Well, he called me the other day. He said, I, I don't think this is, this is just not going to be for me. I, I'm having trouble playing the guitar and it's, it's even worse on this mandolin. I got a little arthritis and, and by the way, arthritis works this way too. Your hands get 2% worse every year and pretty soon you can't do anything. Well, given long enough timeline. So anyway, he gave up. It's only been, it hasn't even been a month. Well, let's say he was making 2% gains in improvement in playing the mandolin. He goes from can't play a mandolin to he's 2% better, let's say, per month. That's sort of a reasonable expectation of, you know, rate of improvement on a musical instrument. Let's just say it is 2% a month. You get 2% better every month. Uh, there'll be times when you get 20% better in a week, and there'll be times when you seem to back up, but... Let's say for the long haul, let's just say 2%. Well, if he would do that for, well, let's say he could play a little tune at 100 beats a minute. And in one month, he'd be able to play it at 102 beats a minute. He might feel like he's making no progress at all. And then he'll quit, which is what he did. He quit. Not making any progress. I don't think this is for me. Blah, blah, blah. That's fine. That's fine. I don't want anybody doing anything they don't feel like they can do or don't want to do. You know, do something else. So I'm not not faulting him for that. Um, but it's just that you got to look long term. Because the gains made in learning to play or saving money or growing trees, they are not, they're not going to be huge instantaneous gains. It's not like winning the lottery. It's long-term. It's slow. It's step-by-step -step process. So if you could play a song, let's say you're a banjo player, and you can play the tunes you're working on, and you max out at 100 beats a minute, and you gain 2% speed, let's say, per month. In 10 months, you're playing at 121 beats a minute. In 20 months, you're playing at 148 beats a minute. That's up there, Earl Scruggs' top speed, you know, 148. 20 months at 2% gain per month. Now, I'm not saying you can always maintain those same rates of growth. And there are upper limits to growth and to improvement. Uh, you know, it's like that old thing about you have a, a cow who has a calf. And you walk out, every day you pick the calf up. And you lift it. Well, you can do that pretty easy when that calf is on the day it's born. And the next day you go and you lift the cow <laughs> and the next day you lift the cow and you're getting stronger every day. Well, the cow's getting bigger every day too. There's going to come a point where you can no longer lift the cow. You know, when that thing is 785 pounds, you're probably not going to be able to lift it. So there, are, I know there are real limits and you might be a banjo player who's struggling to play at a hundred beats a minute. And it's possible that your top speed ever is going to be 130. Maybe, maybe that's it for you, you know? Possibly because of the technique you're using or just the way you're built, you know? Everybody doesn't have the speed gene, you know? Some people are, you know, power lifters and some people are sprinters. And you might be a power lifter, in which case I recommend the base, <laughs> 
if you're a, a sprinter type and you got a lot of those fast twitch muscles, I recommend the mandolin and the banjo, you know. If you're the power lifter, you might just be a good solid rhythm guitar. You know, you got a lot of those slow twitch muscles. And if you're a speed freak, you know, you might be a good flat picker. So I'm not saying you won't necessarily top out, but I want you to try to think of things in your practice and in your development as a musician. This, this applies to knowledge too. It's not just about physical things. It applies to knowledge and experience. The, the kid, you know, who played that gig the other night, he may have gained 2% in terms of insights about how you perform, how you entertain, how you ask for money, how you thank the client, how you, how you behave at the gig, you know. I'm sure he had a 2% gain in knowledge and experience. You're not going to go into a, a music lesson and spend an hour and learn all of the contents of, you know, let's say a music theory 101 course, or let's say my book Mantle and Masterclass. You could maybe, if you read really fast, read it in an hour or two, but you're not going to learn it. You're not going to know it well in an hour or two. If you could just add a little bit each day, you know, couple pages a day try to get that really down then you add a little more then you add a little more and you may lose a little sum along the way but it's a building process so think long term think small changes over long periods of time that's the best way to improve any situation and it's also the most common way to wreck any situation just become two percent poorer 2% more unhealthy, 2% balder, whether it's your head or your car tires. Car tires are a good example. Let's say they lose 2% of their tread per month or per thousand miles or whatever. I don't know what the rate of uh, tire wear is, but they're losing. Every time you're driving, you're losing tread. Eventually, they're bald, and eventually you got, you know... uh, wires poking out of them and eventually they pop that's the way it goes we're all cool with that idea we we understand that very slow you don't freak out when two percent oh i've lost two percent of my tread i need a new i need a new tire you don't do that but when somebody takes up the guitar and they only gain two percent in ability in a week they're like i can't do this well no just keep working at it keep on keep on how about hair loss you know I don't have much hair anymore on top. Um, but I'll bet you, it probably I probably lost my hair beginning about age 30. Probably about 2% negative. <laughs> you know, over time, you know, 20 years, you bald as a cue ball. How about a leak in your gas tank? Let's say you got um, just a little pinhole leak and just... a month drip, drip out of your gas tank. That's a lot. Pretty soon your tank will be empty. If you just let it sit there, it will eventually be empty. Same thing, got a leaky faucet. And you're you're leaking away 2% of your water. Your water bill is going to be higher if you pay for water. 
Um, here's another good example of you take a whiskey barrel when they when they distill whiskey. I mentioned this before, and you probably know this. Certainly, any whiskey drinker knows it. They always age the whiskey in a 53 gallon white oak barrel, charred barrel. They put it in the barrel. So you stick in 53 gallons. Well, it's the same number again. At the end of a year, the amount of whiskey in the barrel will be down by 2%. And it's because the barrel absorbs some of the whiskey and some of the contents evaporates. It's known as the angel's share. That part of the whiskey just goes away and the angels enjoy it. It's also sometimes called the devil's cut. The devil takes his cut. The angel's share or the devil's cut. So after one year, you got 52 gallons. After 10 years of aging in the barrel, you're down to 43 gallons. And if you age that barrel of whiskey for 20 years, you'd only have 35 gallons left in there. And the angels got the rest. No wonder they're singing all the time. Slow loss. Slow gains. Just think in terms of preventing those slow losses and think of building very slow gains. If you're trying to make speedy gains, you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh, like think, think how long your strings last. Now, once in a while, a string just pops. I, I understand that. A brand new string sometimes breaks. But typically, you put on a set of strings and you play them for an hour and they're 2% in worse shape and sounding 2% more cruddy, let's say. And then the next day, another 2%, then another 2%, another 2%. And, you know, after... You've been beating on these strings for three, four months. They're getting real bad. But it doesn't happen instantly. And, uh, you know, you can extend it by, you know, wiping your strings down, trying to get all the crud off and wipe the beer off your dobro and stuff like that. But just think in terms of the power of small, small, incremental percentage changes in your growth as a musician and as a player. And you can think about all the examples you can think of in your life. Just watch your tomato plant growing. You buy that little thing down at the garden center. It's only like four inches high and you stick it in the ground and you just turn around two weeks later. God dang, that thing is three foot tall. Then you're out there putting up stakes and, you know, and, Pretty soon it's six feet tall. It's sprawling all over the place. That's that little incremental growth. So try to think in those terms as you're learning to play, and it'll help keep you from giving up too soon. Don't want you to give up. and Don't want you to expect too much too fast either. Now, sometimes there are some things that you'll have an awakening to something. Like, oh, wow. That's how you do that. Yeah, and all of a sudden you double your abilities just instantly by some knowledge. That does happen. 
But the long-term gains of just becoming a better player, becoming a cleaner player, a faster player, a more knowledgeable player, these things take time. So take your time. Enjoy yourself. Just put one foot in front of the other and keep on going. I've seen many a student, you know, trying to learn that G chop chord on the mandolin. Or I'm getting them on a guitar to switch from a G to an F chord. And just, they, oh, they just can't do it. But I'll bet you each day, if they would practice it for 15 minutes a day, they would get 2% better. And then you watch a guy that's been playing for 10 years. He doesn't even think about it. It's so ridiculously easy to him to go from G to F. He does it in his sleep. Literally. I mean, he could probably do it in his sleep. But you don't get from point A to point B instantly. It takes time, little small steps. So just think in terms of little small steps. And I appreciate the little small incremental steps of anybody who might want to come over to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and chip in a little little small amount to keep this show going. And uh, also, don't I, I suppose... Um, the, the main power in keeping in mind that th- the changes, the positive and negative changes are so small that they're often undetectable. But just know that they are actually happening. Sometimes you just can't detect them. It's, uh, you know, you, in other words, you might be getting better and you may not know it because... From today to yesterday was such a small change. You just don't notice it. It's like your eyesight over, over time. You know, if your eyesight gets, well, let's use 1% worse every six months, you're not going to notice it until the day your glasses just don't work anymore and your arms aren't long enough. I used to tell people, I, I don't have anything. There's nothing wrong with my eyes. It's just my arms are too short. Because if I could hold that newspaper another six inches away, I could focus on it. But just remember that a lot of times these little changes aren't detectable. So go back to listen to that episode I did uh, very early on about documenting your progress. I talked some in there about it. Just a reminder to do that. You know, if if you're playing and you, you see somebody a year later at a festival, they'll notice if you've gotten any better, but you might not. So don't be discouraged and, and don't don't be surprised that you can't really tell. Try to document it. Use that metronome. Measure, you know. Put a number to it. You're playing at 104. Okay, cool. Your next goal, 108 or whatever it is. Make little small improvements. So that's it. All right, I have blabbed enough for today. So... It's back to the lawnmower for me, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Well, I'm driving in my car, ain't got to go far, but it is on the other side of town. Now, don't get me wrong, it shouldn't take me too long, but you gotta know it's getting me down. It's the way you have to drive on 285, even though it's scared you half to death. You better step on the gas when you hit the bypass, cross your fingers and hold your breath. I got the I-285 blues, all the stress, the stride, and I-
enjoyed that i-285 blues that is cedar hill the band i played in for 27 years and that tune was written by jim duck adkins and jerry z duck is playing banjo and jerry is playing bass on that thing and while bob mcisaac singing harmonies and playing guitar and i am singing and playing mandolin and we had a drummer and i don't remember who the drummer was might have even been drum tracks. I don't remember. Um, been a while ago we did that thing. Uh, but anyway, that was about as far as we would stretch the boundaries of bluegrass. But it's it's a pretty cool tune, the old I-285 blues. Hope you guys enjoyed it.